Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've bitten a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep for Israel. Joel Conan, Dennis Dick with you this morning. On our radar, we've got some earnings, we've got some ratings, but we're going to start off talking about the financial transaction tax proposed yesterday by Michael Bloomberg and what that could mean for the industry. Uh, in addition to that, two guests on our radar this morning. The first is at 8.15, Corey Hofstein. He is the CIO of Newfound Research, a great follow on Twitter as well. And then at 9, we'll be joined by Kim Rivers. She's the CEO of TrueLeave. Uh, cannabis company that trades on NASDAQ. So we'll talk to Kim at 9 and Corey at 8.15. In the meantime, Joel, what's the word here in the overnight session? Oh, right back up near all-time highs. S&P's in the green by 10.5 handles. Opened up at uh, 72. Couldn't even see the close of 33.70. Your pre-market low, 33.70.75. Not much up here, folks. Pre-market high, 82, 33.82. That's above buck above the all-time closing high, uh, the Globex high from Sunday night and Monday, 92.50. So there's your main target on the upside. Crude bouncing back up 71 cents at 53 even. Gold in the green as well, settling over 1,600 yesterday, up 730 at 1,610.90. Silver back over 18 cents at 1833 and a half. That puts it up 18.5 cents. 18.5 cents. And Bitcoin back over 10,000. Now the futures are only down $65 at 10,185. Good morning, Triple D. How are you on this Wednesday morning? You got me wound up again. How did I get so wound up all the time? I don't know. I feel like, I I feel know. like you know, some days I'm like, man, eh, a little tired. Today I'm wound up, very wound up. Do you have a couch in there that you can just lay down and uh, like, do you do? How can you well, lay down when you're wound up like this? I mean, you know, I'd say I maybe need to drink like anti-coffee, like something like, I guess it's alcohol, but <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I'm wound up here this morning. Very wound right. up. Well, you got a good and it's, and it's Bloom, Mike Bloomberg's fault. Mike Bloomberg has me angry this morning. All and right. it's, it's, 
and and I think you know we 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 teased why here. So Spencer, give us the details on what Mike Bloomberg was proposing yesterday, because there's a whole pile of stuff that he is saying he's attacking Wall Street, but really when it comes down to it, it's going to be attacking Main Street. I'm going to tell you why. Uh, joining his fellow Democrat candidate uh, brethren and. Uh, Announcing some policy proposals aimed at uh, aimed at the street, and among them is a financial transaction tax of 0.1% on transactions for stocks, bonds, and derivatives. Uh, that's probably the headline here. There's yeah. a few other proposals, but the the transaction tax of 0.1% percent uh, is the headline of of his policy. Let me tell you. So if this was to get approved and i don't believe even if this gets proposed i think it's a terrible idea because it's going to reduce liquidity i'm going to tell you why right now but one of two things will happen in the end in both scenarios it's the little guy that's going to pay so you know the voter you know they're trying to appease the voter here and saying we're going to punish wall street and you know we're going to tax them for you and you know everybody's like rah rah yeah we hate wall street this is what would happen in this scenario one of two things one there's going to be a market maker exemption if it was to get pushed through because you can't have liquidity being, being reduced significantly. And if there isn't a market maker exemption, then spreads are going to widen significantly. Here's why. Bring up a stock like Bank America. Let's assume everybody pays this. No market maker exemption. So at any given time during the day, typically, I know not in the pre-market, but at any given time of the day, Bank America has a nice little one cent spread. Well, if you propose a 0.1% in, so on your buy and a 0.1% out on your sell, that's you know 0.2%. You can take 0.2% times the price of Bank of America and say, that's six cents. So there's no market maker that's going to make a one cent market in Bank of America when they're going to pay six cents on the transaction. All of a sudden, your Bank of America nice one cent market is now at minimum six cents wide. That's the break even, but they need to make some money. So it's probably 10 cents wide. So all of a sudden, you're looking at Bank America, and it's 34.25 to 34.35 with a lot less liquidity on the bid and the offer. So even you know, say oh, as an active trader, well that sucks. Ten cent spreads on Bank America, I don't want that. But you know, it even goes further than that. Think about the institutionals. So think about you long-term investors. Your long-term investors will be paying as well because the price impact is going to be substantially more because the spreads are wider and the liquidity is going to be thinner. That assumes no market maker exemption. I don't think they would let that happen. So I believe there would be a market maker exemption. And then you're not punishing Wall Street at all because the only people who would be paying the bill is the retail traders and the traders who are trading actively and your institutions who are moving money in and out. So Wall Street wouldn't pay because they'd have a, an exemption. So your market makers would get a, probably an exemption. So in both scenarios, even if they do or they don't, if they don't get an exemption, they widen the spreads. If they do get an exemption, the spreads stay the same, but they don't pay any of the bill anyways. So who are you punishing, Mike Bloomberg? Ask yourself that. You should understand mechanics. You've been in the markets. This is not going to punish Wall Street. It's going to punish Main Street. Sorry, Mike Bloomberg. You can, you know, and obviously this is not just Mike Bloomberg that has proposed this. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Biden has put this in their proposal as well. Pretty much every main Democratic candidate wants to tax the little trader. They want to tax the TD Ameritrade guy. They want to tax your institutional trader because it's going to be 0.1 in, 0.1 out. Well, that's 0.2% off of the bottom line. So, you know, if your money manager is averaging 7 or 8% a year, they're going to be averaging a lot less. And if their turnover is higher, it could even be higher than that. So this is why this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But if you're voting for a Democratic candidate, 
if, and you're a trader, you're an active trader, and you're voting Democrat, you better think twice about that because they are trying to tax you out of business. The people who are going to get hurt are your small active traders, your TD Ameritrade traders, your you know, interactive brokers traders. Those are the traders that are going to get hurt. Me and you, and I am talking my book, it would hurt me as well. Although I wonder you know, if Bright Trading couldn't qualify for a market maker exemption because we do do a lot of stuff. So maybe I wouldn't get hurt. But in any regard, we hope that that does not get pushed through as a trader. If you are voting Democratic, you are voting against your business, at least right now. Is this for all of financial transactions? Like, would this be on futures too? That sounds like it. Sounds like it's, it's probably going to be on a, everything. It's a derivative. So I really? everything options and futures. and It's a crazy idea. This has been proposed for a decade. And this is the whole Wall Street. I mean, really, when you analyze it, you know, yeah, we can complain. You know, it's high frequency trades. The bids and the offers move faster. But the spreads are still pretty tight. The market has changed. The dynamics have changed. Um, but, you know, really, the little guy doesn't have it that bad. You bring this financial transaction tax in, the little, the little active trader uh, gets punished severely. If you're a long-term investor like Warren Buffett and you're buying you know, a stock once a year or you know, you're buying and holding for years and years, it doesn't impact you as much as the 0.2% when you're trying to go in and out. 0.1 in, 0.1 out. So it does hit you a little bit. But if you think you're punishing the market makers, you're not. The market makers aren't going to go out of business because of this. They're probably just going to widen the spreads. And then everybody pays. So if you like your tidy spreads, you like, you know, and what I mean by the spread is the, the difference for newer traders. It's the difference between the bid and the ask. So on any given time, when you bring up Bank America at noon, it usually has a one cent spread. 34.35 bid, 34.36 offer. You send a market order for the most part up to probably a thousand shares or a few thousand shares. You get done within a penny. Do you want to pay 10 cents on that thousand share order? It's a hundred bucks. So you start adding it up. It's like, ooh, this might not be that good of an idea. Financial transaction tax blows up the retail trading community. Terrible idea for all retail traders. And what about the impact on performance as well, too? I mean, it's, it's, it, it is from even your institutional money managers yeah. because the price impact is going to be substantially more. If they don't give a market maker exemption, if for whatever reason, like, nope, no exemptions, everybody pays, the spreads are going to go wider and liquidity is going to come down substantially. So when you're trying to get in and out of stocks, it's going to be a lot harder to do it. You know, imagine, you know, Bank of America with a 10 cent spread. It'd be horrible. That's just a break even basically for these market makers because they got to make something. So if they're, you know, three cents in and three cents out, they got to make a little bit. So maybe they can go eight cents, but it'd be pretty tough. Yeah, it's going to change the spreads, change, change the, the dynamics of everything. Of the market. So I just want everybody to understand this. If you're a retail trader and, you know, and this is nothing like everybody's saying, this is nothing for the individual trader, it adds up. You trade a thousand shares of something. It's ten bucks, and or if you trade a thousand, trade let's say you trade ten thousand dollars worth of stock. Well, it's ten bucks in and ten bucks out. You know, add up. You know, go look at your, you know, your, uh, go go look at your tax form to see the dollar amount that you trade last year, and add zero point two percent. Knock that off the bottom line. Everybody pays. So if you're trading once a day, maybe it doesn't hit you as much, but it's still hitting you. It's zero point two percent going to come off your performance. So that's a direct paycheck as you as a trader will be writing to the, the U.S. government or wherever it's going. And we already have a slight transaction tax. I mean, it is on the SEC cells, right? So, you know, there, but it's very right. minimal. It's not 0.1%. So, you know, it sounds like nothing 0.1%. It will hit everybody in the bottom line and Wall Street is not going to pay this. So don't think you're punishing Wall Street. And, and he did say it, it will be phased in. So it'll be starting, starting at yeah. 0.02%. And, 
and they'll, I guess, monitor or see what kind of impact that it has and gradually increase it. Uh, my, and my first reaction was the same reaction I have to every policy proposal from every candidate, which is, well, okay, however good or bad it sounds, what are the odds this actually happens? Um, and I have to I have to assume that this would get some pushback. From, from and some again. traders are saying they want wider spreads. Okay, and you know what? As a, as a trader, maybe you do, but you, the dynamics have changed quite a bit too. We don't have you know the luxury of being able to. And I've given lectures on this stuff. You know the way the market makers you know operate, the off exchange market makers operate, which aren't going to go away. Um, it's very difficult to get, you know, to, to, to make the spread, to be a scalper in this market. You can say, oh, I'm going to make that 10 cent, but you throw your 34, 35 bid out there, and then you have a bunch of algorithms that join you, and then they have the off exchange market makers that can match a quote. It's just not as simple to play a market making game as an active trader. So, and the bottom line is just going to hit your pocketbook. Yeah, and uh, just as they get rid of commissions, as something like this comes in, un unbelievable. Well, yeah, if something was this coming, you're putting not only commissions back, and it's going to be significantly more than commissions. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a significant. You know, you're paying six ninety five a trade. You can throw a hundred grand in for six ninety five. Now, if you you know you're paying, you're, you're going to pay twenty bucks for ten thousand dollars worth of stock. Just understand those mechanics, and people can argue with me and say it's going to be okay. And sure, maybe it's going to be. Um, I think I would actually maybe do better upright trading because the spreads could get wider. wider get in out. Yep. A professional, professional trader might actually make more money. Your Citadel, your UBS, maybe your bright trading is actually do better than this, better in this environment because the spreads do go wider and we have algorithms that can work along with, you know, but if you're not fully algorithmic market making, able to, you know, profit even from payment for order flow, you're going to struggle with wider spreads. You're going to pay more. I think it just hits the small active trader. And I don't want to punish the small active trader. I think the small active trader's got it pretty good right now. Why rock the boat? Exactly, exactly. All right, S&Ps, we're still in the upper quadrant of uh, the range here. 33.82 is our high. Currently trading at uh, 78.50, up nine and a quarter. Handles, uh, should we get Tesla out of the way here? Uh, do that at the top? Uh, let's just talk Tesla real fast before we grab sure. our desk. So Tesla, what more can you say? Another price target raise today. Does it even matter? I, I, well, it matters. I, it makes the stock go up 60 bucks I, every time somebody raises a price target. I could tell you who. I, I could tell you how much, but like, does it really matter? Anybody bullish? Yeah, they just come in and rah, rah, go, go. Who is it? It's Piper. Uh, what are they raising it to? Uh, raising it to uh, nine from 729 to 928. It feels like it's just a matter of time before it hits 1,000. And the momentum it's got going, I wouldn't even be surprised if it's this week. Um, it, you know, fundamentals don't matter. You can analyze it all you want. Say it makes no sense that it, you know, as a you know, cap market cap of GM, Ford, and double that, and you know, and, and analyze from every fundamentals. All that matters is it's got a good story. It's hot. I mean, look at you know Tilray. It goes from you know twelve bucks to three hundred. Things can stay hot. This is actually a real company that makes real cars. So there's some value here. Like not maybe you know from a fundamental perspective when you look at a nine seventeen, but it's not like this thing's worth ten bucks. You know, they start making money, you can easily give a case, a fundamental case, where you can say maybe it is justified going at $1,000. But it doesn't matter. Fundamentals don't matter at all when a story is hot. And this story is hot. I've seen a lot of traders blow out their accounts trying to fight a hot story by using fundamental analysis. Fundamental analysis is out the window when you have a hot story. Tesla story is still very much hot. We got to 9.35, it just backed off, it's being supported here, right? 9.19, 9.20, well, the only number we're gonna think about today, uh, if you wanna look at the all-time high, 
99. That's uh, 40 bucks away, 30 bucks away. There's a potential target there for Tesla. Just hanging in here. It looks like it's bid here, right where we're at. 919. Nine, so. All right. Let's bring on our first guest of the day, uh, Corey Hofstein. He is the chi uh, chief investment officer and new founder of research, and I'm also a big fan of his Twitter, at C. Hofstein. Corey, oh, let me make sure you're on me here. Corey, good morning. Good morning. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, Corey, not sure if you've been uh, listening. Any, any thoughts on what we've just talked about, whether it be a Tesla or a financial transaction tax or and what that? Yeah, I'm getting all fired up over here about this financial transaction <laughs> tax. <laughs> I'm firing you up there, Corey. <laughs> hard, hard not to. Oh, that, that is, that is just not very opinionated. you got to know that if you're going to come on your show. Corey, how's it going? Are you on my side or are you on the other side? I, I'll hear yeah. arguments both ways. I, I am going to find myself on the side of anything that prevents more liquidity in the market is ultimately going to be a bad thing in the long run for price discovery, for efficient markets. I certainly agree with your take that it's most likely going to hurt the small traders. But as an institutional investor and trader, I can certainly tell you that it's going to make you think long and hard about the type of trades you're going to be able to make. And it's not just talking about positional changes in our portfolios, but when we talk about investors that are coming in or out, redeeming assets from our funds, it's going to hit them as well. Um, so we're just talking about the very basic mechanics here, where at the end of the day, we want super efficient liquid markets. And the more you tax the markets, the less efficient, the less liquidity there's going to be. And I think that's going to, as you said, pass right through. It's not going to be my bottom line that gets hurt. It'll hurt my numbers, but those numbers are being passed through to the investors that I have. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, I think we, we want to do everything that we can as a society to really try to keep markets liquid. And there let's we go. Jump, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, let's jump over into individual stocks now too. And I mean, this market, first, let's just talk the overall market resiliency here, because it seems like this is like the honey badger market. Nothing matters. You know, we can have China basically shut down and the market just makes new all time highs. I mean, what are your thought process here? Um, uh, just with the overall resilience of the S and P. Yeah, I mean, really setting the table really quickly, I should, I should say, I, I run a completely quantitative firm. So I don't yeah. hold a lot of opinions near and dear. Everything we're looking at are, are really sort of your standard quantitative signals of valuation, momentum, trend, that sort of stuff. And to your point, this has been one of the most resilient markets we've seen. Uh, and it has been really for a decade. Nothing can take it down, it seems. And I think we're continuing to see that in the underlying quantitative signals we look at. Trends are strong across almost every major subsector we look at, across almost every major international market we look at. Trends are strong, even in bonds, which is, which is a rather odd dynamic that, that does have me a little concerned as to which market's really trying to price correctly here. Um, but you still see this is a risk on trade right now. That's the way we're positioned in our portfolios pretty much everywhere but the energy sector. Corey, I want to ask you about a saying that, that you have, no pain, no premium. Explain that. Yeah, this is, this is one of, um, so we do take a little bit more of a, a long-term philosophy in our portfolios. And my view here with no pain, no premium ultimately ties back to when you're trying to earn a return in the market. And this is really, again, for those longer term type trades that we're talking about, nine, 12 month uh, quantitative signals that you're typically in those trades trying to earn what we would call a risk premium. Um, you're expecting to earn a return because you're bearing some risk. And so that's the type of philosophy I always try to, try to remind my investors. 
that there has to be some sort of risk associated with the trade for you to expect a positive return. And that risk can manifest in all sorts of different ways. It can be volatility that shows up day to day, or you could have almost no volatility and then a big latent drawdown risk. But that risk is always there and it's something we always have to be thinking about. So you kind of teased it, but explain your overall approach to investing in the markets. Absolutely. So at Newfound Research, which is my firm, uh, we focus on what we would call quantitative tactical asset allocation. So our view is that most investors nowadays, the way markets are structured, can generate incredibly efficient strategic asset allocation portfolios that go a really far way in getting them towards their financial goals. But we think that there are big holes that are left in terms of sort of the proactive risk management that they can embed within their portfolios. And so what we do is we use quantitative signals like momentum, trend, valuation, carry. Uh, they really changes depending on the asset class we look at to construct portfolios that try to more proactively tilt our asset class exposures over time to changing market dynamics, really an effort to try to preserve capital on the downside. That's really our, our big focus is saying at the end of the day, for investors to really be able to meet their financial goals, preservation of capital has to be a top priority. And so that strategy is distilled down into an index, correct? Yeah. So we run a number of different strategies at our firm. Um, one of the strategies that we recently launched is an index uh, that we actually did in collaboration with another quantitative asset manager. I think this is a little unique. There's, there's a number of products in the market where you have two sub-advisors, two asset managers that come together uh, and each manage a sleeve of the portfolio. What we've actually done is collaborated with another asset management firm named Resolve Asset Management, shared resources, shared research, and launched the newfound Resolve Robust Equity Momentum Index. And we were very fortunate after we launched that index, it was licensed by a firm named Strategy Shares, who now track that index with an ETF whose ticker is ROMO. Uh, Corey, as I mentioned at the top, uh, I'm a, uh, you're a great follower on Twitter, and uh, you're pretty opinionated and you're pretty educational. Can you tell us something that you think is misunderstood in the markets by a lot of people? I was misunderstood. You know, one of my big uh, pet peeves in the industry, especially on the, on the side that I'm on, which is longer term in nature, is, uh, is that one of the things I like to say is we're, we're an industry full of cake bakers who focus only on the ingredients, but not on the recipe. And we're always talking about what's your edge, what's your secret source, what's your information. Um, at the end of the day, what we find when we run our different tests is that portfolio construction, uh, things about how you combine your different signals into a thoughtful portfolio actually tends to have a lot more impact on your returns and your results than, it, than the actual signals you use, which I think can often take people by surprise. So my big pet peeve, one of the things that I think the industry doesn't focus on enough is the nuances of portfolio construction. How are you combining these signals? How are you thinking about diversification? When are you placing these trades? Those sorts of things can have far more impact than people give them credit for. And those are all things that apply to everyone, not just institutional or retail. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, when I talk to um, institutional investors, retail investors, whether they're long-term, whether they're short-term, the idea of, you know, it's fun to talk about an individual stock. You guys were talking about Tesla before. It's always fun to talk about Tesla, but to talk about a security in isolation without consideration of how it fits within your overall book, how it fits within your, either your, your trading plan 
or your, your investment portfolio really doesn't matter as much. Understanding, okay, if I want to take a trade, it might make sense for me if I don't have a lot of exposure like Tesla. But if I'm already someone who's, who's dabbling in stocks that are going to move uh, with high correlation to Tesla, then it can be a poor trade even if Tesla goes up. So consideration for those portfolio constructions, what's already in your book, what sort of risk factors are you looking at? Those are the sorts of things that I think need to get more attention and really deserve more spotlight. Can you, um, I, I just want to ask yeah, you, Corey, can you just talk about, you know, your overall approach to the markets? And obviously, you know, you've got a quantitative approach. Can you just like, just expand on that a little bit, you know, yeah, how you approach Absolutely. Maybe, maybe an example would be really sure. useful. So I'll talk about that, that newfound resolve index that we launched. So in this index, what we're really trying to achieve is long-term exposure to equity markets. So we think that over the long run, the equity risk premium is one of the best ways for us to compound our money. So we want to, we want to participate in that, but we recognize that those market dynamics are going to change and that there's certain points where the risk is too high that we don't actually want to actually have exposure to equities and we want to have the flexibility to de-risk the portfolio to safety assets, something like short or even intermediate term U.S. treasuries. So the way that portfolio is going to work is we're going to start by every single week evaluating the ongoing trends in global equity markets. And if our quantitative signals indicate that trends are positive, the portfolio is then going to look at different equity regions around the world and try to identify those that have the strongest momentum. So as you can imagine right now, global equity trends have been positive for quite a while, whether we look at short, intermediate, or long-term trends. And on the momentum side, U.S. equities have, have clearly been outperforming uh, international developed and emerging markets. So we're going to be tilted very heavily towards U.S. equities right now. Um, but that doesn't mean that going forward in a month, two months, three months, we couldn't see very different conditions. Either uh, other international markets take the lead and, our, and the portfolio would have the flexibility to tilt towards those different international markets. Or even if we were to see trends turn negative in global equity markets, the portfolio then could have the flexibility to start tilting towards asset classes like short-term or intermediate-term U.S. treasuries to try to, again, defend on the downside and preserve that capital base. I just have one more for you, Corey. Can you just talk to us about the amazing performance of the U.S. markets versus other global markets and, and how we should think about those in our portfolio? Because it's so hard to not want to just go all in the U.S. and then you know, ignore whether it's home country bias or just look at the performance. So how can we look at you know, other markets in, in the wake of the ridiculous high performance of the U.S.? Yeah, this one, this one, I think, is a, a frustrating one um, for quantitative investors. A lot of us are looking at valuation signals, and valuations have been overextended in the U.S. Uh, many would argue unjustifiably so for a long time. Um, and so, a lot of people have tried to tilt towards international markets. Have tried to tilt towards EM firms like Research Affiliates have been very vocal. GMO has been very vocal that they want you to tilt towards EM and not just towards the region, but value stocks within EM. I think you can make that argument. I think uh, what U.S. investors have to consider is that a lot of these tactical signals that might say, hey, emerging markets look particularly appealing right now, are what we would call very slow moving signals. So something like valuation can be correct directionally, but it can take years and years and years to play out. So what we often advocate for is, first of all, come up with your strategic portfolio. And then if you're going to be making tilts within there, recognize the speed at which those tilts need to match the speed of your signals. Momentum signals tend to be very fast. 
and you're going to want to check those frequently and make those tilts frequently, valuation signals tend to be those that you want to put on slowly, incrementally add to, and incrementally detract from over time. And you don't want to make all in, all out, big one-time decisions based on valuation only. So I think U.S. investors have been very, very fortunate. I mentioned that we partnered with a firm called Resolve Asset Management uh, to build our index. Resolve is actually out of Canada. They will tell you that they're very jealous of the U.S. returns that we've gotten, but they're quick to point out that we have a huge amount of home country bias um, that has only been reinforced by recent U.S. market performance. And I think U.S. investors have to consider it wasn't that long ago that international and emerging markets uh, were completely outperforming U.S. markets. And so I think we should have a plan for reincorporating those assets into our portfolios if they're not already featured. Long only portfolio? Do you, do you look at potential shorts or long only? So we, we mostly do long only. Um, it's really a lot of the portfolios we focus on are what we would call long flat. So you can sort of think of that as a strategic core that's overlaying a long short, but the net position goes flat to long. Uh, the reason we tend to prefer that long flat mentality is again, we think over the long run, a lot of the assets we're playing in uh, equities, fixed income, they have a, an associated risk premium that over the long run we wanna be exposed to. And so we don't have the conviction in our signals or our process that we would necessarily want to sort of fight that, that tide. All right. Corey Hofstein is the CIO of New Founder Research. You can follow him on Twitter at C. Hofstein. Corey, thanks for the time today. Have a good one. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, we, were, we talked Tesla before. I want to get to the other high flyer, no pun intended, which is SPCE uh, every day with this one. Every day. Every day. Every day. Same I mean, story. yesterday's candle felt, and you can look at it, you know, we really, it felt like a blow off top um, when it gets up to 38 and it obviously closed fairly weak. So yesterday's candle would be concerning to me. I, you know, but these things are so hard to call. I mean, when they're in rocket ship mode, no pun intended or kind of was intended. Um, 38.71. I mean, when they're in rocket ship mode, anything can happen, but it felt like a turning point yesterday. It was actually, you know, it made that high. If you go to the intraday chart, it made that high fairly early. And then we were weak most of the day. So, you know, nothing goes straight down. You know, you call back and fill and you can you know, back and fill on the long side, back and fill on the short side too. Um, you know, you're getting a nice lift here today. I tend to think that that's the high, at least short term. I, th I, I don't think it's going to go up and start ripping through that 3871. So I would not be surprised if you actually did see this give back this 10% gain here this morning. Uh, but, you know, these things are hard to call and really hard to trade. A uh, couple things here. Uh, one, <laughs> monster volume yesterday. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it'd be going That's why it felt like the upside capitulation. Yeah. Like, you know how we, um, we talk the capitulation on the downside? You call it upside capitulation. It felt like this was the spot where, get me in. It's going to 100. I got to buy it right now. And all those people are burned. It felt like upside capitulation yesterday. It feels like this is over to me. I don't know. How's it feel to you? Uh, I'm a little, I, I got a level though that I really like yeah, yeah, yeah. Give two levels level. uh, that we're halfway back of uh, yesterday's range, 3360. Uh, we're up 330. We're just hanging here. So boom, 50% retracement. Yeah, yesterday's range. Right I there. like that. So there's, you know, a potential area of resistance there, but mm -hmm. I mean, if this thing goes 34 bid, you know, off the hop, I think you will see some sellers because you did get people caught, but, uh, Man, oh, man, if you're waiting for a bounce, uh, you know, and if this is going to be a dead cap bounce, I think right here I'm looking at 33.70 as a big level, and that happens to be your pre-market high. 
uh, if you're not so much worried about, you know, the action between 2871 and 3872, you got to, or 3871, you got to keep an eye on yesterday's low. You came all the way down. You filled the gap. That was a previous day's high. So it does open up on the downside. If you want to sell on weakness, I think you take out 2870. Uh, your three-day closing price is 2366. So a couple good setups here uh, for space, SPCE. Oh, to me, opening into some resistance. And did I ask this yesterday, have, how many people have they taken into space or how many people have signed up <laughs> fundamentals don't matter if you got a hot I, story draw i just want to know i, mean, I want to go to space i like the idea of this company i don't know from a valuation standpoint i've never really sat and analyzed yeah. and i'm assuming it's trading at sky high valuations oh we can, get, we can go with that <laughs> no, we can keep going non-stop on puns on this one but not and then how so many how many people went to space do we know uh no how, how many to, people can they take like on one there, like, there hasn't tour? been anybody yet well, they haven't even done this yet. No, I, no, I don't think so, no. <laughs> oh, so this is um, all just concepts. So there's people signing up for this thing. Could be wrong. But uh, speaking of levels that Joel likes, what about his level in Apple yesterday? It went right to that pre-market high. Yeah, uh, I sometimes did. Sometimes these levels work. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But how about this thing just bouncing back? You talk about buy the dip. The, uh, the dippers were in the pre-market, yeah. right? You hit that 310. And even if you if you weren't shy buying the open, you still made some money here. Uh, I did mention that pre-market high. I think I'm going to be keeping an eye on the close uh, from Friday uh, to see what Wall Street really decides. And that what that's not your all-time closing high, uh, but I like on the upside here uh, three. Well, the fill the gap is 2285, so that's one target. And then I see three closes at 325, but things opened up, and I, I kind of thought. You know, remember when Apple warned last year, right? Remember in January, that marked like they, they knocked it down to eight bucks. And that yeah. was the low forever. So I think everyone was like, no, 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 no. I'm not falling for this. And uh, they rallied it right back up. And yeah, yeah so we'll see. We talked about this on the show yesterday yeah. when it was trading 315. I was like, I wouldn't be surprised if this thing gets back in a few days. I mean, this is just the reality yep. this market. Yep. You know, and it got a lot of it back there in one day. I mean, this is not normal markets. Kramer was saying it on his piece in the morning too. These are not normal markets. It's by the dip is just like so, it's, it's, it's crazy by the dip. And the good companies, they give me sometimes a day or two and then eventually they start to go. I mean, AMD after its report, everybody's like, ah, oh, that wasn't good at all. Five yeah. days later, they completely forgot about it and started ripping higher again. And now it's back up here making new highs. So I actually did some buy the dipping uh, yesterday myself in the long-term portfolio. A stock that I talked about and stock that I wanted. Can you guess? Um, we talked about it for a couple of days. So uh, I'll give you a hint. It's something to do with the sun. Uh, not for solar. Not for solar. Sun power. Oh, SPWR? Yeah, I did. And I was denying this one and it had, and we talked about it and I said, you know, if it gets down to that $7 area, I'd love it. I said, I don't know if it's going to get down there or not though. Um, it started showing some life yesterday and I'm like, you know what? Um, I just want more exposure to solar stocks. It's a stock that I've kind of, you know, there's, there's three or four that I want in my portfolio and yes, it's not best of breed, but it's still, um, a, a company that was trying to turn it around back in summer, a company that had a lot of momentum going in February, yep. but it's the kind of stock that's, you know, could get a hot story here going again too. So, um, I was able to pick this up at 8:33 yesterday, right near the lows. Um, and literally one day I'm up over 10%. I'm almost like, 
Wow. Okay. <laughs> Maybe wow. I stuck in the long term long term retirement account, but it almost looks like man, we make ten percent in one day. I almost feel like you got to ring the register. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, hold was, on to it though. That was nice. Eight sixteen low yesterday. Previous day low eight twenty nine, and then see another low at eight twenty. So good support uh, in the lower eight dollar. People talking ENPH. I like that one too. I love it to pull back. It just never pulls back. So obviously, it's just been you know we can. And if you just want exposure to the bulk, I mean, I mean you can always go the tan as well. TAN, yeah. but ENPH. Maybe we could talk that earnings report here, Spencer. Yeah. It's going to be up big here today. It's up five points. This up stock is loved eight. right now. Yep, earnings. Love, love, love. Earnings after the close yesterday. They beat on their earnings per share, thirty-nine cents versus thirty-three cents. Sales two hundred ten versus two hundred five million dollars. So beat and a beat for Enphase last quarter. Yeah, this and SEDG, I feel like, are the two solar plays. Obviously, SEDG's cooled off a little bit as of late, but you know, when you just go out and you look at the longer-term chart on SEDG, here it was back in 2019, $30, now $108. Been an unbelievable performer. ENPH, same story. Back in early 2019, it was 5 bucks. Now it's $45. Um, it's been an unbelievable mover there, too. So these two stocks are absolutely loved right now. Stocks, it looks like it's going to try to make an all-time high here this morning. Oh, I think it is. It's in the pre-market. So yeah. I've always lost money trying to short stocks, make a new all-time high. So I do better buying them. Uh, 46, if you absolutely have to look for a potential target here, uh, bumped up against 46, a couple different brackets, 45.99. So there's a target for somebody above 46, you know, things open up. But right now, right now, seeing a small seller here, actually not so small, some decent sizes trading. So if you're looking for follow through uh, in and phase energy, got to get to 46 bucks and it's well above the all-time high. So uh, a couple of people asking about First Solar just because we're talking the stocks. I mean, it's come back. It's a stock that's been on my radar for a long time. Um, what's Gordon Johnson? He we've had him. Get, they've got to get Gordon back on the show because he follows the sector really well. Sure. And I think he went fun. neutral on it, and that's why I was in this one time um, in the longer term, and I sold it. And I'm like, I want to get back in, but it's just been like, why is it so underperforming? I want to ask Gordon Johnson that because he knows the fundamentals better than I do. And I mean, you've had, you know, you look at the TAN and obviously it encompasses a lot of other stocks and, you know, I'm sure Enphase and SEDG are probably major components in that, but it's really underperformed and it really hasn't participated very well at all. And that's always concerning to me. So um, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I'd, I'd like Gordon Johnson's opinion though. All right. I'll try and dig him up. Uh, 8.38. Uh, just hanging here. S&Ps are very quiet this morning. Yeah. Still up nine, nine and a half handles. Our whole time closing high, 33.81. That's just one point below uh, your tar or the uh, pre-market high. So, Back within 20, and you know, also we've we've done, we've taken, you know, we had that break. I mean, I look at that 92.50 high from Sunday night, your break down to 55 and a quarter. We've already got half of that back, uh, half of that break back already. So holding now 74 here, good for the market. I mean, in one day, and you saw even the tech stocks yesterday. I mean, a lot of the tech stocks turned around and went green. It's unbelievable. They can have an Apple warning and the entire market basically shrugs it off. Microsoft ripping higher. Um, it was maybe it's X dividend here today for 51 cents. They have to do the adjustment on it as well. But uh, unbelievable resilience, especially in the tech stocks, considering an Apple warning. You know, if you look to normalize markets, an Apple warning would have brought the market down significantly and kept it down for a while. 
they can't keep this market down even for a day. And I mean, even the stock, you know, where ground zero was Apple itself got a lot of the losses back. It's been, it's been unbelievably hard to be short stocks. And let's go back to Tesla here for a second and just, you know, it's starting to squeeze them all again. You know what looks like it's ready to squeeze them here again too? Nothing what? that, not the, the stock we say, you know, was, was trading with Tesla for a while. Obviously it has decoupled from it, but it looks like it's ready to break out too beyond me. What are you thinking about this one, Joel? I mean, fundamentals uh, make no sense, but it doesn't buy. matter. But consolidation yeah. station, it doesn't look like it's ready to squeeze them again. Yeah, look at that. Uh, Above 130, it'd be full squeeze mode again. I think you'll be at some shorts hanging on below 130, but you could squeeze them here too. I think you're squeezing people today. I you're, think, think you squeezed them the last day or a couple days. Yeah. I think the squeeze is on. I think it could continue here. I mean, I would not want to be short this thing. I'm not putting in a long-term portfolio. Like I said, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever from a valuation standpoint. But I, what I've been saying, third time on the show saying it, fundamentals do not matter when you got a hot story. The story could get hot again. Yeah. Uh, yesterday's high, 123.70. Uh, we're above that, trading up 265. Not much on the dailies here, folks. 123.80. Uh, we've taken that out. There's previous uh, high back on the 29th. You got to think maybe squeeze them up to 127.99, 28th high of January, and then 130, like you said. Uh, a high, the high of the rebound, 129.83. So it, they hit it. And it's come back. So I agree with you on that one. Earnings coming. Um, go for, uh, just in the chat there, go for the W saying earnings are next Thursday, February 27th. So you could even see a pre-earnings run there too. So it's not a bad setup here, I don't think. I mean, the risk is always more and beyond meat. And you can't just go and throw all your money in this thing because it can be wild. It can trade on a headline. Um, there is individual stock risk a lot higher than the overall market. But I just look at this thing and think, if what I was think? a gambling man, I I think it could squeeze them more. Gambling, rambling man. Uh, rambling, rambling. Robert Diaz. Uh, we haven't talked about this stock in a while. Um, Rite Aid, looking kind of sleepy here, bumping up. I just that's been coming back, eh? Yeah, that's been a long, long consolidation here after the. What's break. the short interest on that puppy, Spencer? I, you know, can you, you got that? I can I bet you it's got some short interest too. You could squeeze them there too. Yeah, it's probably pretty high. Um, someone... uh, that looks like it could squeeze. I mean, that's what it was back in December. You know, talk of, that was a good squeeze. Thirty-five percent. Oh, I would not want to be short this. No. Uh, Above so... those highs, let's look at you know fifteen thirty-five. You had the tie. So that, it's as long as fifteen thirty-five above there, that's where it would start to squeeze again. Because you you kissed it yesterday and didn't get through it. So bears say, well, maybe you know it's going to put the little dreaded double top in there. Above 1535, we always say no such thing as a triple top. Comes up there again, I think it takes it out. Uh, quick question here on Lyft. Has Lyft bottomed after earnings? Well, you did the old new low of the move, and then back, or you know, you had a low mm. on Friday and you went back above it. So, certainly yeah. 4407 is a good level to lean on after you know that 10 point haircut off earnings and then a stock you know where we have yeah, i like it too i i you know what that lift that actually you know it was a hot story cooled off after earnings three four days they start to like it again i would not be surprised if lift started lifting and uh what about we haven't talked about roku do we or maybe we did yesterday oh they took a it's two-day move it's holding those lows though as long as it holds 120 
yeah. mean, it was a big haircut after the earnings. It was the earnings reversal is the only problem. Like you caught a few people significantly because they were buying that thing open up the next day. You got a few people caught long. I think this is going to take a little longer to fizzle out. But, you know, sometimes you get the gap down after earnings. It doesn't catch people as much like in the lift case. But on the Roku, you even caught people buying it the next day. And then that catches them significantly too. I mean, I still say Roku is just, you know, I, I've called it, it, it the potential to be TiVo part two, um, but it's, it's still got the momentum. It's still got a trade. I've traded this from the long side a few times. I'd say as long as you're above 120, you could do some bottom fishing. Below 120, I absolutely would not want to own it. All right. Uh, Spencer, do we get any more? Or, actually, there yeah, a there's a lot of earnings we didn't, we didn't get but to But they're any. not really that important. Well, there's, there's one I, I would like to discuss, which is, which is Herbalife. And not so much for their earnings, but for what they said about their guidance. So it's interesting to see how different companies are approaching uh, the coronavirus and, and, and what they're saying around it. So Apple obviously kind of set the tone here yesterday. Herbalife coming out and said, obviously, yes, this is going to impact our business. Uh, but that impact cannot be reasonably estimated at this time. So it's almost like we're saying we don't know how bad it could be. Everybody's saying that. This to me, this to me is, is the big question: is when uh, and uh, Herbalife China is a huge, huge part of their business. So when you know we get a few months down the line, how bad is it going to be? Company, some companies are being a little bit more specific than others, and so. I just am wondering, you know, how bad will it be when we get updated figures in a few months? So anyway, Herbalife, their earnings per share beat, their sales missed. I guess it's more about the coronavirus, though. Every company is saying the same thing. They don't know the impact because nobody knows how this story ends. We don't know if it's going to fizzle out. Yeah, and, you know, no, get I, know I, I know, but to me, I'm like looking into the phrasing a little bit, right? So, so Apple, yeah. Apple said, hey, we're not going to hit our numbers, and they stopped there. Yeah. Uh, Herbalife to me is a little bit more concerning. You're right; they are they, they are they are all saying we don't know the, the true impact. But I, I, I guess I saw the phrasing from Herbalife, and I, I, I guess it set up alarm bells for me, knowing that China is a big part of their business. I think the bar was set so low. Not even for Herbalife. You had New Skin reported last week, and it was not good. And this report was okay. The earnings beat on the bottom line. The sales were in line. It was fine. And that's good enough because after New Skin, and if you look, HLF got hit when New Skin. You can see the candle when HLF got hit off the New Skin uh, earnings there last week. So again, they benefit because the company that reported before them missed significantly. So they benefit from reporting second. The wild card again here is China. It's the wild card for so many stocks. And I don't know. The market doesn't care. I don't know when it's going to start to care. But I do think eventually it's going to be, I, I still think we're in the very early innings for the coronavirus there. And that's why I don't want to buy stocks with a lot of exposure to China. I mean, some exposure is one thing, but you're coming in and buying stocks that are significant. Like people are coming in and buying the casinos right now or Las Vegas Sands. I mean, Las Vegas Sands, you know, it's right back up. You know, you just look at this chart. I mean, you're, you're not even that far off the highs. So, you know, a lot of this has come back in. Uh, I just think the story is far from over. All right, uh, Herbalife snuck over $42. Um, snuck over $42, and then that's your pre-market high. Your pre-market high is 42 and a quarter, and you have some highs in that area as well, uh, 42 and a quarter. Let's see what you got. That's your pre-market high, and then a couple highs in the 42 handle, uh, 42.67, 42.96. We've already backed off. So if you get back up 
anywhere near 42. I, I look at that as pretty good resistance here. Uh, in Herbalife. All right, uh, let's go to uh, Garmin here. Uh, so this is one company without a lot of exposure to China, apparently because the guidance, the guidance, why, what, Dennis? Just a loved stock. It's so loved. Yeah, and their, their guidance was above estimates here. So their earnings per share beat, the sales beat, and the guidance came in above estimates. Uh, fiscal year EPS uh, estimate or guidance of $4.60. The estimate was at $4.34. Sales, $4 billion versus $3.84 billion. So good guidance figures to go with good earnings figures for GRMN. The, this company just, the management is just phenomenal when you think about it. Like think about what Garmin started as, a GPS system. And think about, you know, how many companies start as a one-trick pony and then they don't adjust and, you know, and everybody comes and eats their lunch. You know, obviously you can get a GPS put into every single car they come with them now. So, um, but you think about how much they've expanded the business into other things to keep relevant. I mean, this is what, you know, like Fitbit failed to do, GoPro failed to do. The stocks have started with one good product and didn't expand into other good products. I mean, Garmin is the poster child for what you should be doing. So impressed with the management. There's so many other things. I mean, from the watches to everything that Garmin has done, um, just an impressive, impressive company. It's not a crazy valuation either. Like when you start thinking, this thing's trading like 25, 26 times earnings. It's, yeah, it's, it's high, but it's also stock that's very loved as well. It's going to be making new all-time highs here today too. So am uh, I chasing uh, something up 10%? Yeah. No, but... Um, a company that's done everything right. Uh, you backed off to pre-market high, 08.90. So let's keep an eye on that as a potential target. And I was thinking, yeah, all-time high too. But uh, the all-time high is quite a bit above this. Uh, in 07, we got the 125.68, but a closer number to keep an eye on. 112.68, that was your high back in December of 2007. But the fact that we've Backed off that pre-market high so much, I just kind of think that might that might hold up and find sellers ahead of that. Uh, you're what you're two three bucks off that that pre-market high, so that's going to be a good level if it gets back up there. They just dominate wearables too, and I mean, when they originally came out, you know, Garmin, they weren't even on the wearables radar, and they dominate it now. So uh, just I, impressive, I, I don't know. impressive company. I kind of kind of wish I would have bought a. I would have looked at Garmin. No, 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 I no, no, watch. no, yeah. I, no, I had one. I had one and it broke after a year and I wasn't thrilled with it. So I could say go the other side there. But um, okay, we covered like two or three earnings reports. There's like a bunch more. Do you want, do you want to do Lazy Boy, Dennis? We haven't done Lazy uh, Boy for, uh, for a few quarters. Go. Look at this stock taking yeah. off again. Doesn't go away. This is a stock like that sells recliners. You would think like this stock would go away, but it doesn't go away. What are they doing right? You know, I mean, it hasn't been a great performer, but, you know, you think about retail stocks and you think about, you know, if you were logically thinking of retail stocks and, you know, you had a lazy boy that sells recliners, you wouldn't think that it would be holding up so well comparatively to the rest of the retail environment. Like, in, obviously, you know, we can compare to Macy's and, you know, the, the clothing apparel. But, you know what? LZP's held up. It's held up. And here's another pretty good report. Well, you know, yeah, it was fine. The earnings per share beat seventy-two cents for sixty-four cents. The sales did miss by a smidge, four seventy-five million versus four hundred eighty-one million dollar estimate. So a mixed report for them, uh, but it just sort of there, you know. It gets into the gap, into the gap area, Joel. These are tough. 
I know. Well, I know. There's a lot of air all the way up to 36. Yeah. But then you got air all the way down to 33. So you just call all this area air. It could go yeah. anywhere between 33 and 36. Yeah. Point. Monroe, Michigan Company, uh, my hometown. Uh, let's see here. Dennis talking about the bottom of the gap at 36 bucks. Why not? We've come this far close. I think you see I it got hit off the uh, – uh, the earnings report here, and uh, boy, oh boy, air down here up to it's, it's like the it just it seems like it's like if you just set orders at like 27 and 37, you know, well, it did pop over 37 too many times, but uh, boy, great support at 30, took that out after the earnings report, but came right back. So, good report for I, I think I want to get a lazy boy, you know, it's something to throw in the old living room or dining room. But um, I don't know. I don't know if Lisa would be too happy with that one. Yeah, um, you set it by the Peloton. <laughs> I want to go get by the Peloton when you know if you're exhausted from your big Peloton workout, you just kick back workout. in your lazy boy. I did a high-intensity workout the other day. Where is that Peloton? I have a Beck going with you. I forgot. Oh, it hasn't got quite to the 25. No. I'm getting close, though. Has. You have no. 35. Aren't you 35 on 25? Yes, Dennis. Yikes. Yes. Yeah, you're still uh, holding on. You know what? It's holding support. It's as long as you're holding at twenty five sixty seven low, yeah. you're okay. Yep, I'm not even going to go for a buyout here. No, uh, he's uh, going for it still. Yeah. <laughs> and no, we uh, we we don't hang clothes on it too often. <laughs> you still you're still using it? How how many times a week? I used it once twice a week. That's all right. Uh, yep, and uh, it's good in the winter. I mean, in the winter time, it's got to be better, right? Because you get in the, you know, especially in these, you know, winter months, like we get Michigan and Ontario, um, you know, I'm on my treadmill too right now and it's boring. So maybe the Peloton would be more fun. But I tell you, as soon as the spring comes around, I start going outside and I start doing my running outside. So it's much wait, more enjoyable. Wait, you're on it right now? Huh? You yeah. said you're on your treadmill right now. You're on the treadmill right now? I don't think so. That's yeah, what he, all right, never mind. Uh, okay. Maybe it was misinterpreted. No, no. Buzzer for that. Right. Fine. Sorry. Bad, bad joke. Uh, I want to do one more that I want to do, and then we can go uh, to what other people want. But uh, I want to do Wingstop here, just because this stock was such a beast for, for a long time. Their earnings were out this morning. Their earnings per share missed 14 cents for 17 cents. Oh, uh, sales beat uh, um, by a smidge, $53 million versus $52 million. Um, Guess you're not going to see the all-time high today. No, it made it street leading the wrong way into this. They were even betting it up last night, Joel. They were oh, buying yeah. us up to 103, 104 last night, saying it's going to be a good one. Wrong. More work to do on the downside here. Uh, 96 even, 95 even. That's your last print. Someone's got their foot on the pedal here, pushing this lower. They not need to a be lot on of meat wings. Have you? Can they get beyond meat wings? I, I for, all the, for all the vegans out there, I'm sure they can. Maybe that's what they should do: is get the beyond meat wings. Can they do that? Can they is put the meat on around the here? Meat on the bone? Yes. We want the beyond meat on a bone. <laughs> can they do that? I don't. Beyond know. meat comes out with beyond meat <laughs> wings as stocks going that. higher. Beyond meat. I don't know if they can do that. I don't we know. want the meat on the bone. So we want the beyond meat on the bone. Beyond Meat uh, Wings. Beyond Meat, listen to this. This is going to be the thing that's going to propel you to 200. Beyond Meat meat Wings. You got to figure out how to put the meat on the bone, though, and not and not upset all the vegetarians and <laughs> vegans out there. <laughs> let's. Can we get to we, – we have a low at 
which looks definitely uh, achievable here. I'm looking at that, and then I go the even numbers here. Like if they had a trying to bring in a short here, see if they pick you off uh, with a 94 bid. If they do, you put out a 93 bid, a little bit more. And then if they really want to come and get you, you put out a 92 bid because you got a pair of lows between 91.75 and 92.34. That's what I'm looking at um, on the downside, on the upside. Right now, not showing any upside, but this is probably a thin one yesterday, and everyone jumped in the pool. Uh, big big volume day yesterday, 487,000. So some people are probably scratching their head on that buy on uh, Wingstop. And is there one around here, Spencer? Yes. I've never ate Wingstop. There was one, me neither, but there's one not far from us. Uh, down here. I've seen them popping around in the Detroit area. Wait, i got to go in there and try them sometime. I don't know if they're good. I've never had them, but All right. there is one around here. Uh, let's go to the chat. We've got a few minutes left before we're going to – Yeah, let's do some chat stocks. Yeah. Chat's already oh. saying we don't do their stock stuff. Let's go. Chat yeah. stocks. Yeah. I know. Bang, I, bang, bang. I, I need to do better at, at, at watching the chat. I apologize, chat. We, we do watch the chat. We do read the chat. We just try to get yeah. to those All right, let's go with There's two, multiple chats, remember. Yeah. So. I know. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, what do we got? I need four <laughs> eyes. Uh, let's four see. Four eyes. <laughs> nvidia nvidia i don't know oh hey uh nvidia over 300 it's getting an upgrade here too i uh still got in the long-term portfolio i actually had it on for a trade last night i sold it already i didn't think it was going to open over 300 i was wrong it's going to open over 300 <laughs> so anyways who's upgrade bernstein uh yes i believe so Jeez, I... bernstein upgrades it to outperform raise their price target to 360 I love you bernstein still along this in the long-term portfolio i think it's a double for me now officially I think I bought this under, I think I'm like at $146. I bought this by the dip works again. Look at that, Joel. I think I paid around 146. I sat with it for a long time, not going anywhere. But, uh, you know, a year later, it's actually paying off now. This long-term investing works. <laughs> Pre-market high 30190 or right. We should hang up the trading gloves and just put long-term investing gloves on. Well, you may have to, Dennis. <laughs> uh, it sounds like yeah, it sounds like I'm going to have to with uh, Bernie or with uh, Bloomberg coming in here. So I got to get used to long-term investing. Just buy and hold. Laughing at his own jokes. Got yeah, a lot. That was a good one. I don't even know what's. That was good. It's true. 30190. That was better than the other one. Your pre-market high. It just kind of. Just kind of sitting here at 30190. So you want above 302. I guess I keep an eye on the open on this one. Like if you open 30190, 302, you bump it up to 30350 and then you come back down to that open. That's really, I unless you have like a target up here or, or something. I mean, up 513 at 30170. And not much to say about that stock. Where do, where do we want to go now? Someone was mentioning Fiverr. Let's look at F. F that out earnings. Yes, and I can give them to you. I think the buck's chucked full of stock there too, but it looks like it's traded enough stock. Maybe it's going to go through. The earnings uh, this morning, uh, $0.08 cent oh, loss versus a $0.14 cent loss estimate, so they beat that number. Sales, $29.5 versus $28.6 million. So a beat and a beat for the Q4 numbers for Fiverr. JV Spec, can you uh, look in your book, your Fiverr book for me? Because I thought I saw some size of 28 yesterday. I don't know if it took it out. It was kissing it. Now, obviously, it, it, now yeah. the earnings can take it through. But uh, we'll let JV Spec check out the book and you'll see. What do they do? Does anyone know? Yeah, it's it's one of those. Um, they give high fives. No. Uh, it's, uh, for cereal? It's hard to give me a Fiverr. No, it's hard to explain. They, um, It's like. I really have no idea. You can like hire. Uh, you can like go on there and like hire someone to do something to like for 
Like freelan okay. freelancer. Fiverr is an <laughs> online marketplace <laughs> for freelance services. Thank you. I'm not doing a good job of, of explaining it. I'm just reading it from their <laughs> website here. Um, the world's leading $5 marketplace. Yeah. What do you they sell? On, Things are sold on there for five bucks? Well, online five dollar store? It, no, it, it's like it's like services. Like if you need someone, oh, to like you need, you need someone to like write a resume for you, or you need someone to like do they sell a, services a, online. Yeah, services. Yeah, that's all right. That's uh, not a pretty good business argue, model. Figure out the exact number. Let's see, twenty nine thirty. Sounds scalable. You had a, a twenty seven point move. Add thirteen and a half to that. Thirty two and a half. Thirty three. You take back fifty uh, percent. Kind of in no man's land here. But uh, I figure out that exact 50% retracement and use that as a potential resistance point. Not sure what size you have in the book, but if you do come back down 28, that was a major level of resistance. Old resistance, new support. All right. JV Spec says no size anywhere. So uh, maybe they took – I did see some size 28, but they kissed it a little bit yesterday in the trains. So they probably took it out at the close. All right, Dennis, we got to go. Yeah, well, Dennis can go, hang. Go, go. Dennis Dennis can hang if he wants, but I want to bring on our second guest. Bring on the second guest. I actually have to go trade, but we'll let you go. Okay, you go do yeah, that. Yeah, why you still can, Dennis. <laughs> oh, but <laughs> I want to say hi to Kim. I see okay, her. well, hi, Kim. she's on with us now. Kim Rivers is the CEO of, stick around, then. of True Leave. Kim, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me. So it's it's uh, informally Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference Week on our show. Where the, the conference is next week, so we're getting a lot of people on in the run-up to that. Quickly tell us what you're going to be doing at the conference next week. Yeah, so I am going to be um, – I'm actually um, – going to be keynoting, which I'm very excited about. Um, I'm trying to determine my walk-up music right now. So if anyone has any suggestions, um, let me know. It's Miami, so home state. So I'm trying to find that perfect uh, perfect tune to walk up uh, to stage on. And then I'll also be presenting you know, the True Leaf story um, at, a, at a different time slot. And then, of course, lots of meetings with, um, with fellow colleagues and as well as investors. So really looking forward to it. Quickly explain for our listeners who aren't familiar what, what TrueLeave is. Sure. So uh, TrueLeave is a uh, vertically integrated cannabis company. Um, we are a multi-state operator, and um, we like to say that we are focused on the operations portion of um, that MSO title. So we're the largest uh, player in Florida. Uh, we also are launching operations in Massachusetts this year and have um, small, smaller operations in both Connecticut and California. Um, we um, are uh, you know, blessed to have approximately 50% of the market share in the state of Florida in a very rapidly growing uh, rapidly growing medical state. Let's talk, uh, let's just talk to the old industry here for 2020. And uh, why don't you just give us a couple pros and then a couple cons. Yeah, 2020, I think, is going to be uh, characterized as, as we look back at the end of the year um, as a year of execution. Um, in a year of really, you know, the rubber meeting the road with respect to, uh, you know, turning turning a profit and and being profitable and and I call it, you know, really becoming a, a disciplined um, and sound business, which I think overall is going to be a huge pro for the sector. Um, I think it's really important, um, especially for U.S. operators, to turn that corner prior to being able to uplist because I think it's going to create and bring more validity to the entire sector um, when we are able to, um, to list on US exchanges. Um, I think that of course, um, you know, maybe some of the, the cons are, are not so um, pleasant things that I think are coming at us in 2020, which we're already starting to see, are um, some businesses that weren't able to turn that corner and, uh, you know, um, some of them going through and, and determining um, what that wind up 
uh, plan looks like. So, um, you know, I think that coupled with uh, some really pretty um, interesting and, and complex and potentially long-term detrimental financings, um, again, that we're, we're starting to see uh, just due to the lack of access to capital in the industry. And so for those businesses that aren't producing capital or aren't producing cash um, and are becoming, you know, more and more cash strapped, um, getting those expenses under control or in the event that they're not able to and um, being forced into taking some pretty egregious financing terms, which will be interesting to see how those, how those play out in the, in the near term. Uh, question from the chat, uh, expecting edibles to be sold in Florida anytime soon? <laughs> the edibles question. I hope so. Um, you know, truly stands at the ready. We've got a 10,000 square foot state of the art kitchen, a full line of edibles that we're very excited and, and ready to launch. Um, you know, what we've heard from a just chatter perspective from the Department of Health is that, um, you know, there were a couple of laws that needed to be uh, passed rules that need to be passed prior to edibles. We got two out of three uh, this past week. And so we're hoping that we just have a packaging rule uh, left. And then we, we believe that the next rule on deck is edibles. So I, I'm hopeful that it will be sooner rather than later, but it is, um, it is you know, our, our fate there is in the hands of a regulatory agency. So unfortunately we don't control the timing. Uh, Kim, so you mentioned access to capital being a big challenge. Uh, for investors, what should investors be looking at when they look at uh, public – I'm talking about public investors. Uh, what should they be looking at for these companies as far as signs that, that a business is, is primed to grow or, or maybe not? Yeah, I mean, I would just say that, um, you know, go beyond, go beyond the headlines of a press release, right? Um, and, and so, you know, press release, we're always going to put, of course, every company um, is going to put their best foot forward. But when you see some of these more complex financing, financing deals, I would just encourage folks to dig into the terms, understand when those, uh, particularly in debt deals that we're seeing more, more often, when those notes become due, what the ability of that company is to service that debt in the interim, and what their refinance options are at the end of the term. Um, definitely looking at, look for companies that, that are able to turn a profit and that have uh, cash available, of course, to service debt um, to, fund their, to fund their growth plans. Uh, we are in an election year. Uh, do you see you know, you have anything on the, uh, on the political horizon? Any pros, cons? I mean, we've been moving forward with legislation. Anything you're keeping an eye on? Any states in the election year? Or just the overall political environment? Sure. Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, first of all, just taking a step back, I think it's so amazing how far we've come, right? The fact that we're we're hearing candidates talk about cannabis policy at the national level um, at this stage of, of the election cycle, I think is a testament to really how far, again, um, you know, the, the marijuana industry has come, how far advocates have come. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really proud of, of where we are. Um, obviously, we're watching very closely and listening very closely um, to, to the candidates and their posture and their stance on, um, on marijuana, not only, of course, on um, legalization, but also things like, you know, banking and, um, and some of those other issues and decrim, of course, is another and social justice issues are important as well. Um, from a, at the state level, um, certainly we're looking at, um, we've got a close eye on the, on the, north, on the Northeast. Um, in those states, we've heard a lot of talk among, um, of course, that, that block of states there, but now we're looking a little bit deeper into the, into the legislative elections because as we know, while it's great for governors to come out in support or for governors to state that they're supportive of um, 
of uh, you know recreational, for example. Um, in most states, it does require, of course, um, legislative action. So again, it's one of those you know you can't just look at the headline. Um, you've got to kind of dig that one or two levels deeper. Um, but we do think that there will be a number of states, um, of course, coming online for recreational, which we're uh, we're certainly excited about. Um, you know because I think that the more, of course, the more states that come online, the um, the more the train has has left the station, as we say. Uh, what would you say to a potential investor in cannabis companies and like, hey, you know, the black market is just too big, you know, too big to overcome? Uh, what would you be your response to a comment like that? Well, I mean, I think that what we've seen, um, and certainly I think the last year um, with the vape crisis is a perfect example. Um, I think that, you know, you have an entire segment of the population that cares about, um, you know, their health and, and safety um, when they're consuming a product. And I think that um, that's becoming more the case, not less the case. And I think with uh, with cannabis, actually, you know, the, the positive from the vape crisis was that the pointing out of you know, the importance of testing, the importance of having regulated product, the importance of knowing what you're consuming and particularly, you know, what you're putting into your body. So I actually think that the trend is shifting and that, you know, Americans are becoming more um, more health conscious. I know you guys were talking about Beyond Meat um, a little while ago, which is pretty funny. Um, but- uh, You but, have you an know, opinion? Think, you have an opinion? No, I, I'm not going to weigh in on that debate. Although I thought the concept of putting Beyond Meat on the bone was uh, was an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, that <laughs> has a lot of interesting uh, takes if you want to continue. <laughs> Well, that, right. I mean, I think that we're seeing, you know, a, a trend, right? I mean, there certainly is more self-awareness, more conscientiousness around what we're putting into our bodies. And, um, you know, just I, so I think that that translates into the cannabis industry. And don't get me started on, you know, the benefits of sleep and, and how formulated and formulated products um, are, you know, we're not just talking about, you know, buying a dime bag from your dealer. I and mean, we were talking about a level of sophistication and product types and form factors. I mean, truly, we just released a, um, a nano powder product that um, you know is water soluble, blends into any sort of liquid, and it uh, the onset is 15 minutes, but it lasts you know four to six hours. And so um, the game is changing through innovation, and I think that um, it's an important differentiating point as we as we think about the black market penetration. All right, Kim Rivers is the CEO of True Leaf. She'll be a keynote speaker at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference next week in Miami. Kim, thank you so much for the time today, and looking uh, thanks, forward guys. to next week. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good day. All right. That will be it for our show today. I want to thank both of our guests, Kim Rivers and Corey Hofstein. You can always catch the replay of our show on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. Um, give us a call if you'd like, 734-494-0246. Email us, premarket at benzinga.com. To learn more about the uh, uh, event next week, go to benzingaevents.com. And... I guess that's it. Please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as, as informational purposes only, not for investing or trading advice. Joel, any final thoughts? Uh, no, no. We're just uh, we're just grinding higher. Yeah. Uh, Pre-market high, 82, 33.82. Uh, All-time closing high right here, right now, 33.81. Not much on the upside. Uh, your Globex high from Sunday, Monday, Tuesday session, let's call it uh, 33.92.50. That's the only target I have on the upside for you. All right. That'll be it for us. Everyone have a great rest of your day. We'll be back with you tomorrow. 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.